0: Enjoy Friday night dinners at the American German Club. Doors open at 5 p.m. Dinner, dessert, and coffee services are served from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. only. There's a live van, a full bar with liquor and wine, including German and domestic beers on tap. $10 for admission and dinner is just $12. Visit AmericanGermanClub.org
1: for more info. The most obvious point about that is that we're not talking about the woman's health here. We're talking about the health of an infant who has left the mother's womb and is alive on the earth and whether that, whether that child should be entitled to the medical care that is re- required to keep it alive. Infants who survive abortion arrive in many cases, and they're in an extremis, and they need medical help. And this is not about the mother's health. This is about an infant child's health in America. And f- for her to say that is strikingly dishonest and misleading. But, you know, this is a movement. This, this uh, The choice movement, uh, the, the abortion movement, is, is about euphemisms like that. Women's health, reproductive health. This isn't about reproduction. Abortion and and this certainly are not about reproduction. They're about non-reproduction. And what we're talking about here, Martha, is is this: what what the defense, what the opponents of this measure are trying to prote- protect, is not really a woman's health. It's a woman's ability, when an abortion has failed, to achieve the same result by other means. That's what this is about.
2: You gotta love Brit Hume. He has a way of just. Um capturing the truth and he can be brutal to both sides which is one of the things I do love about Brit Hume but he's right you know the more I contemplated it th- this is one of the things that kept me up last night and one of the things that just really bothers me and what bothers me the most is people who want to who actually ask me to tone down this part of my my personality I guess um, and, and this has been going on for 20 years, probably longer, but 20 years that I can think of that I've been trying to say in my own small ways that there's a reason that we have two parties that have turned this issue into a political one because it's really not a political issue. Um, whether or not you a baby gets to live or die, or die after a botched abortion or after birth isn 't political it 's moral and Where we get confused and why we get you know we keep our eyes on that shiny thing, it becomes political and the politics are so confusing to me because you hear women arguing. About their reproductive health. Well, I'm a woman. And I I could argue, and did argue when I was young, coming up, that there should be ways for a woman who might find herself in some kind of uh, compromised position because of a pregnancy, an unwanted pregnancy, that they should have some alternatives. They should be able to go somewhere and speak to somebody. Um, What used to happen... and And I I don't think people really remember, you know, they they're so used to the 40 plus years of Roe v. Wade that they don't really remember that when girls got pregnant, when I was growing up, one of two things happened. Either they disappeared. And they came back maybe seven or eight months later. And they now had a new sister or brother that their mother raised, or they didn't have a child with them at all. Then the second alternative was you called um, a guy who had a different name every month who would come into your home and perform a procedure on a kitchen table. And a lot of women either died or were rendered infertile my aunt i can talk about my aunt who has she's deceased now she would have been a hundred i think this year but my aunt viola was impregnated at 16 when they first when she first got to america and they terminated that pregnancy now my grandmother was not in new york yet my grandmother was still in Puerto Rico. My mother was still in Puerto Rico. They came over later. Viola had come ahead of time to, you know, sort of, she had, it's a complicated story, but she got here first and was supposed to get things in motion for the rest of the family to come over. There were brothers. One brother was in the military, and there was younger brother. Then there were the twins, and then there was my mother, and then there was Alice, and then there was Marie. So there were all these kids, and, and Viola, for many, many years, supported her mother and my mother and all the other kids. And I never really knew how she did it, but I believe that she, um, that she may very well have been a very high priced call girl. She was magnificent looking. And I remember she then, she went back to Puerto Rico. Everybody stayed in the States except her. She went back to Puerto Rico and she actually owned a bar slash I can't, there's no nice way to say it. Whorehouse in Santurce, Puerto Rico, for many, many years, and set money back because there was plenty of money. But I remember I was with her one summer, so I would come down here for the summer. And I asked her why she didn't have, she adored me and my cousin Karen, the one I was talking about yesterday, she adored us, showered us with trips to PR, presents, just adored us. And I remember asking her, I was about maybe 11, 12 years old, I said, how come you never had any kids of your own? And she told me the story of how she had been basically butchered, Um, because she could not have taken care of a baby, she was alone in America, and she had one of these uh abortions and that changed me knowing that story changed me and when i came back as i was growing up i never wanted women to have to go through that and i was beginning to be aware so i was looking around and i was seeing like girls disappeared you know they had a boyfriend they were hanging out with the boyfriend and then they were gone You know, and then they'd come back like six months later and, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that they were getting pregnant and some of them chose to go away and kept the baby and some of them, you know, had these botched procedures because then I would see them. Sometimes they would be rushed to a hospital because of, you know, a a procedure gone bad. And that's why women like me and young women like me championed for safe and legal abortion. Not because we thought it should be something that was used, uh, you know, anytime anybody thought about it or wanted it. We really were thinking about these extraordinary cases. And these, you know, these criminal enterprises that were doing these kitchen table procedures. You know, I, I never heard of the, you know, they always like to talk about the, what is it, the, the wire hanger? That's not, we actually had people who were, um, butchers in, and I don't say that facetiously. That's what they did. They were meat cutters, and many of them were frustrated physicians, just like in the old days, uh, barbers used to be surgeons. Um, and they, they were the ones who did these procedures because they understood anatomy, I guess is the only way I can describe it. And that's all. We were championing safe and legal abortion in rare cases. And now we're sitting around and we're arguing about whether or not a baby who is born in spite of an attempt to terminate a pregnancy should be administered life saving, you know, medical care or not. And more importantly, we're talking about whether a third trimester abortion should be standard operating procedure think there are that many of us who buy that i don't think this is going to be a popular issue for the democrats to run on if this is what you want to hang your hat on even people who are pro-choice don't like this that's why we you know we're able to um Stem the flow of partial birth abortion because even pro life people, pro choice people looked at some of the barbarism, barbarism that goes on in those procedures and said, no, 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 that's not what, that's not what we're talking about. New. No. And trust me, when Ralph Northam committed what I consider the, uh, the unpardonable sin that should have removed him as governor of Virginia. It wasn't because he put blackface on in college, although that's pretty disgusting, but it was when he said that the baby would be resuscitated if the mother wanted it to be. And then once it was resuscitated, there would be a conversation between the doctor and the mother as to what to do next that just doesn't sit well with even pro-choice people. What do you mean a conversation? You have a living, breathing infant now and you're gonna have a conversation about whether or not to exterminate it? I'm sorry. The vast majority of American people, the vast majority of humanity finds that repulsive. And I keep hoping that they keep picking these extreme areas To dig in on, you know, Tammy Duckworth. Oh, this is just another attempt by the uh, pro-life people. Uh, You don't call me pro-life. It doesn't bother me. I'd rather be pro-life than pro-infanticide any day. I'd rather be pro-life than pro-choice any day. You're not insulting me when I say that. Why do you feel insulted when I say pro-choice? That's the question. And believe me, I got a lot of pro-choice listeners. And all of you, she she wouldn't talk about this thing. Well, I have to talk about it because it affects everything. It's why we have a diminished regard for human life. That's why we have it. Because we are a culture of death, not a culture of life anymore. And if you think I'm just going to sit by and allow that to persevere without even objecting, well, then you haven't been listening for the last 28 and a half years. I was getting uh, some crazy emails. I'm trying to to wade through them. I've been ignoring them. How about this story, though? Beloit Police Chief David Zabalski. Beloit is a college, by the way. And uh, they apparently had a very interesting hate crime, okay? Okay. there were certain indicators that led us to believe there was little more to the story, said the police chief. It all began with a real hate crime. An anti-Semitic note passed under a student's door at a residence hall. Zabolsky says the threat was investigated immediately. We were already investigating the first incident when this one came up, which obviously ratcheted up the fear and concern on campus, he said. Another student came forward with a hate crime report, This one involving anti-Muslim messages painted on a residence hall door. But after a thorough investigation, detectives discovered the victim, 20-year-old Michael Key, had painted the messages himself. Key admitting to the crime, saying he wanted the same attention the campus was giving the other student. Zabulski says false reports like Key's can increase the trauma for real hate crime victims especially something of this magnitude, which has that kind of draw and fear that comes with it, he explained. That really can cause delegitimizing or diminishment of the public's response when we have additional crimes of that nature. Beloit College spokesperson Whitney Helm says students have come together to help each other process both the real hate crime and the fake one. What is going on? I mean, this is again in Illinois. Illinois is where... You uh, saw the Jussie Smollett, which now I am again convinced was a hoax. Although, I tell you what, there are people who are now standing b- behind Jussie, including some famous people like whoever that Terrence guy is. Terrence something. Yeah. Howard. Howard. Terrence Howard, who plays his father on the show. Um, what's the show? Empire.
0: Yeah, but he's been in trouble in the past, though.
2: Which one of them? Both of them. Both of them have been in trouble in the past. But anyway, I'm 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 back to thinking that was a hoax. Um, And then there was, uh, you know, you have a an actual what looks like an actual real crime, right that that took place with R. Kelly, and years, twenty years go by, more than twenty years.
0: Right. Yeah. The more I read about this story, like, why is that tape? It was withheld.
2: Who had it? Yeah. Who had that tape? That's what I want to know. From
0: from my understanding, I, I seen an interview, I believe, with his brother. Who they? I guess. Who's this
2: to- woman who bailed him out? That owns the daycare center. She put up a hundred thousand dollars. Daycare center. Yeah, she, and a couple of restaurants. But she she put up the money.
0: You gotta be kidding.
2: I am not kidding.
0: She, he uh, did not
2: can- have the money, or he didn't have it. Just, Access to it.
0: I'm just shocked that she owns a day center and hes that's what he's getting charged with, and she bonds him out.
2: Exactly my point. Doesn't that seem a little uh, yucky?
0: A little trafficky? Yeah. Enjoy Friday night dinners at the American German Club. Doors open at 5 p.m. every Friday night of the year. Dinner, dessert, and coffee services are optional, served from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. only. There's a live van from 7 to 11 playing ballroom, standards, party music, and German traditional. Full bar with liquor and wine, including German and domestic beers on tap. $10 for admission and dinner is just $12. Visit AmericanGermanClub.org for more information.
2: Sometimes I wish like I had um, my son nearby so the time difference wouldn't affect us so much. I'm looking at a story that just um, crossed the wire about Fox being rocked by a $179 million ruling in bones. Do you know that show, Bones? I actually yeah. liked that show. I watched like the first two seasons of it. And then, I of course, watch I get bored after the second season of anything. But apparently, they've had a long legal battle over profits. And an arbitrator's decision calls out the top executives Peter Rice, Dana Walden, and Gary Newman um, for altering the economics of a hit show because of, of this whole streaming thing. That goes on, like there's a lot of crazy accounting that goes on now. If you, um, you know, if you watch a show that was on five years ago on a different network than the one it's currently playing on, mm-hmm. you know, in whatever the the streaming ones, Hulu and yeah. um, Netflix, Netflix, all that stuff, you know, who gets paid and who gets cheated? Apparently, they were not paying the people who. Designed the show and the people who had part of all of the money that came from the first run of the show, they wouldn't pay them when it aired on one of these streaming networks, even though they got paid.
0: Mm, That's not right.
2: Yeah. So they lost it. Um,
0: That should have been a quick case.
2: Well, it wasn't. It took years. But I'll have to get Derek on this week to explain this to me because $179 million ruling... About, uh, for lying, cheating, and reprehensible studio fraud. Sounds almost like the Michael Cohen case.
0: I, it kind of reminds me a little bit with artists complaining about streaming their music mm. and how much they are getting paid off of it.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, uh, Oprah, her fortune took another hit.
0: Well, nobody, I don't know anybody who actually watches No, Cohen. it's Weight Watchers. Oh. That
2: uh, she's part of the Weight Watchers. Uh, she owns like eight percent of Weight Watchers. Does she? Yeah. And the value of her stake dropped to one hundred and twenty-two point seven million dollars. From that means it's down four hundred and thirty-five point eight million dollars since June twentieth of last year. Four
0: hundred.
2: Four hundred and fifty, almost four hundred and thirty-five million dollars. When you talk in numbers like that, doesn't your eyes like get glazed over? Mine do. It's like, what? Four hundred and thirty-five. I mean, I if know. you and me and every other person in this building added up our lifetime s- uh, salaries, mm-hmm. we won't come up with four hundred and thirty-five million. She lost that in Weight Watchers. You
0: know how many people we could help with four hundred? I'm just saying. I I
2: uh, she's worth three point four billion dollars. Hey, <laughs> I just I I it's, it's crazy
0: from a talk show host to getting that much money.
2: Wait a minute, from from a victim? Her childhood was horrendous. Well, yeah. I'm not and, and yeah, and she was like she did a, a, a local
0: I'm not a, news show. It's an amazing story. It's an
2: amazing story. And she is a very talented person. I I don't care what anybody says. I mean, there are times I want to, you know, pop her in the in the gazoo, um, because she just she's she likes to you know she likes to make people out to be victims who who really aren't victims. She doesn't do that with herself though. Not I've never seen her do it anyway. I don't watch enough of her to know. But she is brilliant. She has really isolated what it is that the average American woman is interested in, whether it's through her book club or whether it's through her talk show or whether it's through her soul Sundays. I mean, she really she knows she has an innate sense. I mean, I, I, I would I would never watch that show, but only because, you know, I was never around in the daytime like that. But I certainly, I think I read every book on her book club for the first couple of years. Because if you're trying to figure out what books to read, she generally picked really good books, you know. So I read all those books.
0: I couldn't watch any of those shows. Every time I stayed home from school. Well, did
2: you see Mehmet Oz's show yesterday? Who? Dr. Oz. Oh. You know, he's down here. He's a cardiac surgeon in West yeah, Palm. I guess. Well, you guessed. Do you know who his guest was yesterday? No. I'll give you uh, a clue. Um, I'm so
0: good at these games.
2: Yeah, no, his uh, brother murdered seventeen people last uh, Valentine's Day. Uh, Zachary Cruz. Right, Zachary Cruz um, was on with Dr. Mehmet Oz, and he talked about all the missed signs. It was painful. I don't know how anybody who's, you know, like my friend Andy Pollock or any of the parents or siblings or friends or grandparents could watch this show and hear um, this. I
0: I started to reflect about some of that stuff. There was kids when I was going to high school that probably, Mm. you know, like, is this a nice, I don't think these are just isolated issues. I think this is. No, he
2: said he first learned that his older brother was a suspect in the massacre and his immediate thought was i knew it was possible that he did it um and he he got interviewed i guess it's on uh, channel 6 in miami and fort lauderdale i don't know oh, it's channel 25 w pbf up here in uh, west palm beach and it was part of a program that they've been instituting on dr oz called true crime tuesdays that's creepy but anyway um he asked the kid to look back, he's 19 now, to look back to Valentine's Day 2018 and whether his brother wanted to die when he fatally shot 14 students and three staff members that day, and Zach Cruz said, yep, I felt like it was also a suicide attempt. He went to McDonald's and had lunch afterwards. Does that sound like a suicide attempt to you? Yeah, I think... No, suicide attempt, they, they turn the gun I don't on know themselves. Like that, so yeah. No. The teenager spoke of the missed signs from their childhood. His brother's temper tantrums, uh, breaking things, knife holes in doors. He once saw text messages on his brother's phone about shooting students. I didn't talk to him about it. I look back now and I wish I could go back in time. And, uh, you know, I feel responsible. I want to hold myself accountable. And I know there are signs I missed. I want the world to know, don't be like me. Don't let your brother, don't let your loved one, if you see something going on with them, be there for them. Make sure they're okay. Like his brother, he'd been kicked out of the home of Roxanne Deschamps, who was like a surrogate mother to them after their mother died in November of 2017. Zach was put on probation after he trespassed at Stoneman Douglas about a month after the shooting. When Oz asked him how the Parkland community treated him, he said, they shunned me because my presence brings them the remembrance. The show also featured police footage of him visiting his brother in jail after the shooting. The video showed him hugging his older brother and telling him that he is not a monster and that he loved him. When Oz asked Zach Cruz whether he thinks his brother, who confessed to the killings, knows what he did and that it was wrong, he said, I know he does. I just know. I don't know. Anyway, and they also briefly introduced Mike Donovan, who, along with his partner Richard, took Zach Cruz into their Virginia home last year. The teenager also spoke about his own anti-bullying organization called When We Isolate No One. Uh, I don't know if that's an appropriate show. What do you think?
0: What, for Dr. Oz? Yeah, for anybody. I think doc- it's more of a Dr. Phil show.
2: It's more of a I don't want to hear from this guy show. You know, his
0: brother. I'm sure some people might want to hear it. I don't want to hear it.
2: Florida's got some weird stories in it.
0: I mean, all the stuff that he was describing, like punching holes in the walls and everything else, I knew a bunch of guys like that, though. So.
2: <laughs> I was like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's I was like. yeah, I was. Uh, I, I had a thing about scissors. I like to cut stuff up when I was a troubled yeah, so youth. I
0: started to think about you know, all that stuff. It's like I, I went to school with kids that would cut themselves.
2: This, yeah, the I never did that. But I, I but, took yeah. scissors to things. Like, I you know, if I got... Really mad. Your drapes were
0: toast. And there was a kid similar to, you know, Nicholas Cruz as far as moving homes and everything else that I went to school with probably
2: He didn't move years. homes except in the end when his mother oh, yeah, passed.
0: But, I, but he's also had mental disorders and everything else. And he, there was you times think? that yeah, he brought knives and everything else to school a few times. Yeah,
2: no, they're, they're definitely. He had to have a clear backpack. They were so scared of this kid. This
0: was like right around Columbine time, though. Ugh. When I was in school.
2: It's just frightening. I'm so grateful that, you know, I didn't have to deal with that on a daily basis. Although now I have uh, grandchildren, and I do have to think about it. And there's Logan and other kids uh, in my yeah. life <laughs> that I think about it all the time. Um, when we when I take my grandson to school, as I did this morning, like, I got to pray over him. I don't know what, you know. They the,
0: Who I'm knows? I'm more worried in the younger schools. I'm more worried in...
2: Uh, Sandy Hook was in elementary yeah, but it wasn't school a kid doing it, to, it was, it was like, a kid
0: well, more like a teenager
2: okay it was a teenager in both cases no no, yeah, no no it was more like high school kids oh like. please I'm scared of everything i i'm'm I'm merely I've gotten to the point where I'm just you know <sighs>
0: scared i have to, I'm thinking about it because Logan's getting ready to start going to school I do think about it quite a bit and mm-hmm. I'm having a lot of reflection you know when i used to go to school and parental
2: like anxiety
0: it's yeah, called stuff that welcome like, to my world maybe i should have said something there or, yeah well
2: that's what this whole oz you know? thing was about please say something and these kids were actually biological brothers they were both adopted but they they shared mother i don't yeah. know that they shared a father because one is a biracial and the other is not that's what i'm saying not. No. All right, let's take a quick break. I I do want to come back, and I do have to talk about this Momo thing. Um, that scares me, but we'll 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 talk about it when I get back. Uh, yes, we managed to not carry even a minute of Michael Cohen's testimony today. I'm proud of myself because uh, you know it's an easy thing to do is to just flip the switch, but. For goodness sake, you got a liar lying and a bunch of uh, partisan hacks on both sides just using this to showcase themselves. And and, and probably the scariest thing was looking at Debbie Wasserman Schultz's face as much as I was forced to in this committee hearing. And... Uh, Not, uh, wasn't, wasn't easy. Anyway, um, two stories that I have to quickly go through before I hang up. I, this Momo thing, you know, I, I didn't know much about it, but, uh, I, I got initially very concerned about it until I read an article say, that was called Don't Panic. What parents really need to know about the Momo challenge. I mean, obviously you've seen or heard, uh, news items. They have it on the nightly news lately about this Momo challenge, which shows you this grotesque, image of like this bird head with warnings about children being encouraged to harm or to kill themselves. And uh, so this guy who wrote this article, Andy Robertson, um, who's a gamer, uh, like a, writes about gaming and stuff like that, said uh, uh, he has yet to find anyone that has been harmed by the Momo Challenge or even knows anyone who's been harmed by the Momo Challenge. It is essentially a viral ghost story. That's weird how you could just convince people, um, that something exists that doesn't exist. Apparently, what happens is you, you, um, you receive an anonymous note in the mail that threatens bad luck or worse unless you send 10 people a copy of the letter. This is an old, hackneyed kind of thing. And online chain letters accelerate the spread of these messages while also enabling back-and-forth communication from the sender by moving from letters to direct messaging. And uh, the Momo Challenge is triggered by searching for a special phone number online and sending a WhatsApp message WhatsApp or whatever that thing is message and the player enters into a conversation that sends distressing images and aims to persuade them to complete challenges ranging from waking up at certain times to self-harm and even suicide it's not true anyway did you think it was true or or did you know it was a like a viral ghost thing
0: um I didn't know about this one because it was weird. Before this all came out, I had watched uh, TED Talks about YouTube, about children videos on it. Right, right. And it right. ends up in things that you don't want your kids to watch.
2: Right, like child porn. Well, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So uh, I started looking at some of this stuff already, mm-hmm. but this one I didn't know about. It doesn't surprise me one bit. Mm-hmm. I looked into it. It's been out for a while. Yeah,
2: it's been a while.
0: So it's not like a, it's not like a new thing, the Momo thing or whatever. Yeah, like three, le, the biggest. All right, all right. No,
2: that's me. enough about that. Cause I want to at least slip in these headlines and I'll get to the stories tomorrow. Authorities are now accusing an LGBT rights leader in Michigan of burning down his own house. Um, and, and then calling it a hate crime. The home of Nikki Jolly, a transgender man and gay rights activist in Jackson, Michigan burned down in 2017, killing five pets. The fire was initially investigated by the FBI as a hate crime, given that he had received multiple threats after a year where he helped open the city's first gay community center, organized the first gay festival, and helped lead a battle for an ordinance that prohibits discrimination. He'd been named Citizen of the Year, but authorities have now determined that he set the fire intentionally. Can you get charged with murdering your five pets in that hate crime hoax? Yeah, well, that's the kind of stuff we're seeing. Anyway, um, more bizarre crimes. How about this male student that just settled with the university, a male college student who was incapacitated by alcohol and therefore did not consent to the sex he engaged in with a female student? Huh? Huh? We'll talk about that tomorrow. Thank you for your time this time. Until next time, I will be back at 10 a.m. tomorrow if it be his will and he delays his coming. In the meantime, don't watch the Michael Cohen testimony. We gotta stand tough.